Hello, I'm Matt Carpenter, and this is the Good Life Podcast. Hello, we are here today with Rory and Becca Groves. Roy has recently published a book called Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economies That Have Stood the Test of Time. So I am very grateful for the opportunity that you guys have taken to meet. So uh, let's start with uh, where do y'all live currently? Uh, Well, thanks for having us on, Matthew. And Mm -hmm. we are up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We actually live in a in the country about an hour south of Minneapolis, so southern Minnesota. Good, good. So to begin with, in your book, you talk about a significant change in your life. Yes. You went from being uh, in software, uh, you were a tech specialist, is that right? Yeah, computer programmer. Okay, and you went from that to working full-time on a farm with your family and your own farm, not working on somebody else's. You work on, you, you have your own farm. Tell me about that. What, what yeah. was, what was that like? How did it happen? Uh, what, what all transpired there? Well, yeah, I would say that, um, not entirely full-time yet, but that's certainly the vision. Um, I still hang on to some of the technology in terms of, um, part-time consulting work. But definitely the passion and the vision and the entire orientation of our life has shifted away from in the city, um, a consumerist mindset in a much more material oriented mindset to what can we grow ourselves? What can we do together as a family? How can we all involve our kids and each other in our life's mission and vision rather than all being separate into our own, you know, different uh, uh, careers or factories or daycare centers or schools. We really wanted to integrate the family into all of our lives and not, not everyone be individuals. So um, the farming was kind of snuck up on us. I would say, you know, I, 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 when we moved out here to this farm, it's a small parcel out here in Southern Minnesota and there wasn't much going on at first. We were just, we were definitely hobby farmers, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, we got chickens the first year, but there was really, I was still programming and doing the technology thing. And that was uh, nine years ago this summer. And I mean, the way to explain it best is just that one thing led to another. We, we started very gradually. We just wanted to learn some of these aspects, grow a big garden, try to grow some of our own food. And it kind of caught on to the point where all of a sudden the land was having more of an impact on us than we were having on it. And we started to really rethink our whole vocation. I, I really shifted in terms of my uh, passion for technology and, and uh, everything that was new and, and technical and engineering, which I had spent the first 30 or so years of my life invested in to uh, what is sustainable? What can we grow here on our own farm? What can we do with the land? How, what can we learn um, that our great grandparents used to know? Um, all of these things just really became attractive to me and to us. And we started to just 
one little thing at a time. And so looking back on it now, it sounds, and it is a dramatic shift, but even today, I mean, even this year, we're, we're taking on just a little bit at a time, learning what we can. And, um, and yeah, I think in hindsight, it looks pretty dramatic. Yeah. You know, to back that train up even a little further, we were living in South Minneapolis, um, you know, and Rory's going, doing his job every day. And, uh, we were pregnant with our second child and, uh, just had basically outgrown the backyard and kind of like probably time to move somewhere. And, uh, but loved darling little neighborhood in the city by cute lakes. I mean, fun little area to live. And, uh, um, when it was time to start looking at different houses, Rory said, well, what if we just skip the suburbs? And um, I was so caught off guard because that's where we both grew up. Like, no, that's where you go. That's where you've got, we've got two kids coming, you know, like you go to the suburbs. Right. And he had this whole vision and uh, and it took me a while to catch up. I mean, I I really, he, he actually was like farm hunting with a realtor before I realized oh my word, he's serious. (laughs) This is like a for real dream. I thought it was kind of a passing fancy. And so, um, you know, it took, it took a while for me to, um, to, to recognize that this is, this is for real, that he really wants to do this. But the other thing that was happening at the same time, kind of simultaneously was, um, I had just read, uh, Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. The two of mm. us together read Farmer Boy, which is hilarious because uh, by Laura Ingalls Wilder. We didn't have kids Excellent of age book. yet, <laughs> but, yes. but we were reading Laura Ingalls and we loved Almanzo and his lifestyle and how every season there was something to do and how there, it just was like, this is, it's January. This is what we do in January. And we loved the idea of that. So, the variety. so there really were like, we were reading things. We kind of were catching glimpses um, together. And then it took me a little bit longer. It's harder. You know, when one person has the dream, it's sometimes hard to catch up, you know, if you're the other spouse. Um, but I started to see it and I started to, um, I started to come along on the farm hunting (laughs) with the realtor. And, uh, and then we found this place and I, I was the one who was like, you know, it, it just, it was sweet how the Lord led us from one thing to the next. So that by the time, we found this farm, you know, we didn't even walk into the house. And I was like, when do we, you know, I, I love the place. I just loved it. And so, um, yeah, that's, I suppose that's kind of a little bit of that story. There's a lot of guys I know, and and, and I, I've dealt with this myself, that this, this pull towards the, you know, farming and uh, agrarian lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, even the term agrarian, for, for some people, it, it smacks of romanticism and nostalgia because they say that that world is gone. But for others, though, you know, when you get that dream, you really want to pursue it. But then because a household is not just the husband does what he wants and everybody else follows. I mean, that, that, that's not even, that's not a biblical yeah. household. It's everyone pulling together yes. and exponentially increasing what God has given you to do. Mm-hmm. So that would be a difficult transition when you're leading your spouse, Rory, from one place to another. What, when you've had one particular lifestyle and you you're moving away from that. You know, talk about the the degree of you know, what did your leadership look like when you 
certainly you want to go full throttle, I'm sure. There's at least part of you that wants to go full throttle towards this, but you know that your wife is not ready for that yet. That's a great question. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't sure how ready I was for it either. I mean, there's the, there's the ideal, like you say, you know, in farmer boy where the, you have a family that's functioning and they're working together, they're producing everything that they need and then some, and, um, and then, you know, you know that there's an ideal out there, or, you know, at least that there's something out there different and hopefully better than what you're experiencing now. Um, and, but then going there is so countercultural. And uh, it took me years, really years, to get past my own notions of what I thought I had to do in order to be a contributing member of society and doing right by my family. And, and that's really one of the hardest things internally for a man, because you don't ever want to walk away from provision, which is something that we've done uh, to an extent, walking away from a career in technology and, you know, in the 2010s, right? Um, you're really walking away from good job prospects uh, to a degree stability. Of course, that was part of what led to my looking around for other jobs because it's not it's not uh, enduring, right? But it is very difficult to step back from that and to accept the fact that you may not be bringing home as uh, large of a paycheck, but what you're hoping to do is to build up your reserves and your inheritance in other ways, such as relationships with your children, with your family, with your wife, connection to the land, fulfilling a calling that God puts on your heart. There are other things than money out there and everybody knows this, but it's very countercultural to step away from that. So I think the first thing is that I, it wasn't like I had, I had visited a lost, you know, Island and I was coming back and trying to drag my family there. Cause I knew for a fact that it was going to be perfect. Because I didn't know that. And right. what I've discovered along the way is just take it slow, uh, one mm -hmm. step at a time. Um, and then be you really cannot go out in front of where your family is, you know, to be a leader or yeah. to be a steward. I like to think of it maybe more like being a steward of the family that God has given you. Uh, you got to bring them with you. You can't just run out ahead or else you're in the same position of being isolated. And you certainly don't want to create resentment towards something that God has put on your heart. So for us, what's worked really well is just to take things slow and just to move at a pace that people were comfortable with. I, I would think that Becca would probably agree that I probably push the envelope year over year in terms of what we're trying. But sometimes Becca surprises me and she's the one that wants to get honeybees mm -hmm. or she's the one that wants to make goat milk soap. So we find ourselves milking a goat now. <laughs> And uh, there, so, I mean, there are some breakthrough things here, but I think if you're flexible and you're patient and you're consistent, I think that things fall into place as long as you're not trying to accomplish it all in one fell swoop, which is a recipe for disaster when you're trying to do something this large scale. Yeah. Well, as farmers uh, and as shepherds, uh, a distinction that you made actually in the in mm -hmm. the book that I would never made myself. I mean, I, I've used the terms, you know, but I've used them simultaneously, sure. you know, mm -hmm. farmer and shepherd. But one of the the great things about this lifestyle is 
you run into the fact that patience is not only a virtue, it's a requirement. Absolutely. <laughs> because no matter how hard you work yeah. and you cultivate, you can't make beans grow faster than the Lord has made them to That's grow. That's exactly right. There's so, and, so many aspects. Uh, you're literally in a biblical context when you're living off the yes. land. Yes. And there's so many uh, theological, biblical, godly principles that begin to take on new meaning in your life when you get that closer connection to God's creation. Yes. Yes. So, so, so your, your words for, on patience yeah. in, in leadership are important because, you know, on, on one hand, the desire to lead is strong, which is a desire God has given us as men to lead. And when we are embracing our calling, we will lead. But leadership, as you also said, doesn't mean getting so far out front that mm -hmm. everybody else can't see where you are. Right. So, you know, Becca, how did you respond as Rory was was leading? Were, how long did it take? I know you said that when you saw the house that it really, it clicked the right house, mm -hmm. but what was it for you? How, how talk about how in Rory's leadership, how did this work for you? You know, what, what was some of the process for, for in your growing openness mm -hmm. and then uh, eventually you, really grabbing hold of this. Absolutely. It actually wasn't the house that uh, sold me on the farm. It was um, a very big oak tree outside. <laughs> and that was the wow. thing that when I saw the oak tree, I thought, I, that's, that's our house. I, I, we're going to live on this land. So, um, you know, I, it is, it is just slow baby steps. I think that's probably the wisest, uh, thing to say is, um, if the Lord is calling you as a couple to something new, He's not going to leave one of you in the dust, you know, like he right. wants. So, so if you are coming to him, Lord, this isn't going away. He really is serious about this. Help me. What, what am I to do right now? You know, um, I think that's, you just want to make sure you're in that posture. I, there are so many things that we have done. I mean, when Rory said he wanted to get goats, that was kind of the next threshold was like, you think we can do big animals, you know, like, again, we are like two suburban kids with a, I grew up with a house cat and he grew up with a lap dog. And now all of a sudden he's like wanting to bring large mammals into our life. And, um, and, uh, I, you know, I really had this, I had this option in front of me. I could either just, you know, become just this like kind of cruel cynic. What in the world? Who do you think we are? That's so ridiculous. We've never done this before. I could be that girl. Or I could say, well, I guess let's try it. We'll watch some YouTube videos and learn what we can. And uh, if nothing else, it'll make a great story. And um, that's a great posture. <laughs> that's I feel like that's a great attitude just to have in life as well. Mm -hmm. Let's just see how it goes. And um, I think that's part of it. I really do. I think that there's like, you get to make a decision, especially if it's someone else who kind of has all these visions and you're just trying to catch up you get to decide, do I want to, um, you know, you get one, one pass at this life. And to me, yes. um, you know, wake up. It's exciting. There are cool things uh, to do with your days. And um, I guess I was always trying to point my ship towards adventure and just the fuller, the fuller life. 
That is excellent. Rory, you're about to say something. Yeah, you mentioned something about the romanticism of the agri- of the agrarian um, culture or lifestyle. And, you know, one of the things that when I want to get some clarity in the middle of whatever modern culture we're in, I like to just think back of why did, why are we here? Like, what did God create us human beings to do? And we know, and, and I mean, beyond, beyond the theological, to love God with all our hearts, you know, to worship him and enjoy him forever. But he, he created us to tend the garden. He put us in a natural environment to have connection with the land and the animals. So it's, I think it's a bit of an excuse to say that it's just a romanticized notion of the past because it's the creator of the universe made it this way. And he designed us this way. He put this in our hearts and there's a yearning in us now. I think we're so far detached from all of these basic human designs that God put into us that we're really feeling it in the modern age. I mean, with every advance and convenience in technology and screens, um, even, you know, the ability here to talk to you down in Alabama while we're up here in Minnesota it's really amazing, but the yearning of our hearts is to be with other people and to be close to the land and close to God. And so I think that the degree to which we seek that, even if, you know, if you're working uh, as an engineer and you don't have a direct way into that lifestyle right now, I think the yearning in your heart is put there by God. And I think the degree to which you pursue that you may not, you may not, and I would not recommend anyone sell their house and buy a farm tomorrow <laughs> without weighing the cost, without counting the cost and considering all the things involved. But if, if you work your way towards that life, I think you're going to see continued rewards and benefits. And I think it will help affirm what's in your heart. Is this a leading from the Lord or are you just uh, trying to reach out because someone else has a better way of life than by comparison? And so, and I think the same thing too would apply to when you, when you make a leap or when you have a vision as a man, if it's breeding discontent in the family, you're probably pushing too hard or going too fast. There needs to be part of leadership is, um, you know, building consensus and really casting a vision that people can get behind. And whether you do that consciously or subconsciously, if there's discontentment in the family, something's off. It may be God's vision, but it might be not not be in God's timing or in God's ways. And so that's all kind of coming back to the just slow down and move one step at a time and then allow the Lord to bring these confirmations into your family. And he will. And then allow the dream to become your own. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, be taught, be communicating, be telling, you know, like I've been thinking about this, start watching those YouTube videos together, you know, so that just whatever vision you've caught, you both get excited um, to walk Mm -hmm. down the same road together. What seeing and reading first and and, and then just observing and and keeping up with your, uh, your, your developing Grovestead uh, right now, uh, as you call it, what great name, by the way, it is a, it's a blessing to see this lifestyle lived in joyful defiance of what the culture says marriage and family should be. 
which is everyone individualized. Yes. And, you know, you, you send the kids to their different segregated grades. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mom goes to work and takes, uh, you know, either in, in employment or, or she, you know, as G.K. Chesterton says, a, a, a liberated woman is one who tells her husband, I will not be dictated to, and then takes a job as a stenographer. <laughs> and, you know, on one hand, and, and then, you know, husband goes out somewhere else. So everybody is totally distributed they are farmed out to society to industrial society industry more specifically yeah yes yes and and then return so and and we will get to that in just a minute i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but i'm so as you probably tell that this book gets me fired up uh, (laughs) in, in spots so i know though that there are elements that you when you look at and you say, I wish we would have done X or Y differently. So, you know, what's been the most difficult part of your transition? Mm-hmm. And then what is, you know, what is something that you, or is there anything that you would do differently? I mean, I know, you, I know you learn, we learn from mistakes and that's good, but what's a, well, what's a, difficult part of your transition and then what's something that you would have done differently these are good questions matthew Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean so much i can i can give you one one comes to mind and i talk about this in my book but um i wish we had more mentors when we got started and Mm. i wish we would have uh really spent some time seeking out mentors uh i am a very bullheaded thick skulled man. And I like to bang my head against a brick wall many times before I figure out that that's not the right wall to break through. Um, so I, that that's part of it is I just want to figure it out myself. That's, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do, you know, and, and there, there's something to be said from learning from trial and error. And that's, we do a lot of learning from trial and error here. And there's also the element of, I just didn't know who to ask. Um, just because you moved to the country doesn't mean all your neighbors know how to farm. Right. Um, and, and in fact, even if your neighbors are farmers, it doesn't mean that they know how to handle goats. Uh, right. we've become so specialized in modern agriculture that, um, that's, uh, not, a, not a, a given, but I, often they'll probably know someone who does handle goats. So, um, that would be the first thing. Cause we, you know, it took us years to get our footing and things like raising, we also have sheep and we have hogs and we have chickens and a fairly large garden and an orchard. And there are some simple things that, for example, put, uh, you know, wrap the base of your apple trees in hardware cloth, uh, about, <laughs> about two feet off the ground, because if you don't on year seven, rabbits will come through in the middle of winter and eat all the bark around the apple trees and you'll have to start over in year eight. That would be Did a good not know that. Yeah. Now well, now you, you do. do. <laughs> that would be a good tip and save you seven years of orchard uh, planning and harvesting. And so there are things like that. And I bring this up in the book too, is that really seek out mentors in the areas that you're looking to go into and build relationships with them. Because I mean, my goodness, you will depend on them for help when it really comes to it. And it will save you years of uh, learning to do this on your own. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I had to get over um, kind of the fear of man was really my biggest mm. stronghold was, uh, mm. 
you know, at some point, you know, we're living this really um, just congruent life. You know, Rory was working at home. We we're homesteading. We're here. And all of a sudden, the next step was uh, Rory was interested in homeschooling our kids. And I went to college to become a teacher, but um, mm. I had lots of opinions about homeschooled kids and homeschooled families, <laughs> and they were not great opinions. <laughs> so, right. Um, and, uh, and I just had to work through that. I, what, what am I afraid of? What do I think, you know, what do I think is going to happen here? And, uh, and then we, we took the leap and just said, well, let's just try it for a year. And, um, now I'm like a total homeschool advocate. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it has, uh, it's kept our, you know, it just keeps us all kind of under the same roof, but, um, but that, that's a huge one. I mean, just the, oh, what are the so-and-so is going to think if we move out to the country and become farmers or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, there is, um, that, that probably was my greatest thing was just like getting over, getting over myself, really. Mm. Well, on that note, what, what has been the response of your family? I don't know if your extended family lives nearby. But what was the response, uh, both in the past when you first hit them with the blunt end of the axe that that said we're we're about to leave and and move to a farm, and then you know even now with family and friends, how do they respond? Um. Well, they do live. Yeah, they live up in the uh, Twin Cities area. And fortunately, for most of the family, we're still within striking distance. So we get together on most of the holidays and stuff for, uh, uh, and so forth. Um, yeah, there was certainly sadness that we were going to be moving out of proximity. That was mostly it. Um, I think that I tend to be pretty entrepreneurial, so it was maybe a surprise, but not altogether uncharacteristic of the kind of things that I would get involved in. I'm a small business owner, and um, uh, I think that, you know, truly, we're as surprised as everybody else that we decided to go this direction, and I I try to explain to people that um, the closest thing I can say is that it's like a calling. Like you, you can't really right. give a rationale behind it. I certainly, when we started, I certainly didn't think that we would expand to the degree that we did. But like I had explained before, one thing led to another and we just found so much fulfillment in what we were doing out here. And like, you know, the homeschooling topic that Becca brought up, um, we just saw so much fruit in mm-hmm. the relationships with our kids and the way that our kids were able to really build strong relationships with each other. Um, And as a parent who focuses, who really places the faith of our children on a very, very high priority. I mean, I don't know if there's anything higher in our lives than to see our children serving the Lord. It's more opportunity for us to disciple them. And so um, these are all elements that we just are so grateful for in our lives. And I think that, yes, certainly there was um, maybe some misgivings. I mean, no one was ever uh, rude about anything. Everyone was always supportive of us. And I think that um, uh, uh, there was a wait and see maybe element here, but we were waiting to see. Like I said, I was probably (laughs) my own strongest critic. And I really wrestled with, um, am I doing an injustice to my family by moving them out of the material you know, a modern way of life. 
Um, and and I, I, I struggled with that and wrestled with that for many years. But eventually the fruit and the fulfillment and the lifestyle, it just became undeniable that it was so wonderful. You know, even, you know, we like to, to take a measure of self-sufficiency here. We all went through 2020. So it's not like it's uh, uh, going out on a limb to say that uh, the global supply chain is a permanent enduring thing. We all witness empty shelves at the right. grocery store. So there's an element here of it feels good to have our own food on our own property and to be learning some of these skills. Um, but but there's also just the element that even if everything were to be going great and the stores were always stocked and there were never going to be any uh, uh, upheaval in society, it's a very fulfilling life. Yes. And I think that overflows to people around us as they watch and as they see, we're just trying to share our experiences with other people and kind of ask, invite people to enter in with us and learn alongside with us. That's a lot of what we do here is when we're inviting people out, you know, to a, to a, a workshop or to a farm open house, which is what we just had a, a few days ago. It's just part of the come along and see with us, see what yeah. we're watching and what we're learning. Hmm. Yeah. And also to have the opportunity to get to share a family farm um, I grew up, my grandparents had a family farm. And so mm. I went there every harvest and got to ride in the combine and everything and see baby animals in the springtime. Uh, to us now, that's that's a real sweetness that we get to offer that. Um, and when we have people come here, like we did this farm open house, kind of our hope is that it never feels like an enterprise mm. or like something really glossy. Like we want them right. to feel like just come and like pretend we're all you know, related and <laughs> just come. You're not LARPing. Our, yeah. <laughs> just come be a part of our family. Yeah. So, um, so that's been, a, that's been a real fruit of having this place too, is just getting to share, like, you know, just how, just how is food produced? How is it grown? We've got to show the garlic coming up already this spring, you know? Mm. Well, uh, so I, well, I read your email earlier and, and at first I, I misread it and you were talking about maple syrup and then, the next in the same sentence you talked about garlic and it said we harvested so many <laughs> gallons of syrup and I, I i read it as garlic syrup and i thought i have no idea what they grow up in minnesota no so, no bad combination <laughs> but 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 this this is an interesting perspective though that that you you're not uh, as rod dreyer in his book the benedict option talks about you know, the need to, to pull back and not as, you know, just trying to, to escape. Mm -hmm. You are not trying to escape life, but rather for your home to be a place of restoration, uh, where people can see you working in harmony with God's creation and to, to be a, a place of ministry even so that people can see what life is like when you're trying to do things in a way that's as much as possible honoring to God. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, the, yeah, there, there, there is an element of the agrarian movement that's um, more survivalist oriented and, and, you know, and I'm not going to cast aspersions on anyone for any reason they do it. For us, we're just so fascinated by learning these traditional skills and basically, you know, reclaiming. Alan Carlson talks about reclaiming 
the vital functions of a home economy. And the thing is, the thing that really rocks me is that for his, for all of history, for you know, we're six thousand years, every family was its own home production factory. They all yes. produced what they needed. There was not a reliance on the corporation or a reliance on the government, except for maybe for common defense. But the vast majority of humanity for all of time, they had family was their reliance and their, and their communities. They were dependent on each other and on their communities. And together they subsisted and they could produce everything that they needed. And and to me, that's really the marvel because, you know, in a, as a modern 21st century adult, I find this stuff incredibly arduous and difficult, but rewarding. And to think that um, all of your neighbors and your friends and your community came together as, in one accord, right? In the, in the New Testament right. church, it talks about them coming together in one accord. And it's just an amazing, rewarding uh, uh, a life. So... That's all. One of the things that you mentioned, Farmer Boy, earlier, that uh, we love that book uh, in our house as well. And the scene there where they are at the fair and they're enjoying so many different, while Monzo has so many different locally grown foods there that, that he can pick from the picture of, of, of the people of a community coming together and bringing their best yeah. together and, and, and having this, this communal meal is, is an, a wonderful picture yeah. that, that has always remained with me. And, you know, th that's something that you were able to, to tell others about. And not only to tell them, but to show them through, you know, you have, you mentioned the open house. You also, uh, I believe you have uh, people who can come and apprentice to, to tell, tell us a little bit about uh, we that. Do, well, so we do, um, things are a bit in flux right now due to COVID because we've of been course. in the middle of trying. So what we were doing is a thing called farm camp. And we would yeah. have uh, young boys or young girls come out for a week on the farm of like day camps where we would take them through, uh, and then uh, Becca can fill in on this one because she's the one that kind of uh, mastermind and plans a lot of the activities. But we basically take them through a lot of the farm experiences and then tie it into scripture or a parable that's literally in the same context. If, if it's shearing mm. sheep or if it's uh, spinning wool or spending time out in the pastures or the gardens. And, and so each day has its own activity. And so that's one aspect of it. Um, the other uh, aspect is we like to have events and workshops. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, Chris Wiley, C.R. Wiley. Uh, we had, we did have last year, we we're going to plan to bring him out. We're going to see if we can put something together this year too, but have an event out here just to bring families together, do like a camp out, have some speakers come in and uh, just get basically just connect everyone, all these kindred spirits, because that's the other thing too. I think we haven't touched on this yet, but when you start to walk in faith in this direction, you will see there are other people walking right alongside you that you maybe didn't notice mm. before. And there is such an encouragement from the community out there that is trying to walk a similar walk, that's seeing the things that you're seeing. 
And you'll get to know those people and they're there. They're in your community. They're all around. And you will build some very deep relationships with them. And so, um, you know, we, our heart is just to encourage other people that are trying to take some of the same steps. And if, if we can get people to, to come together, um, you know, meet each other, learn from each other and encourage each other, that's very fulfilling for us too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we don't really, it's not apprenticing, but we do an internship where for two okay. summers we've had, uh, we've had, um, just women come and, and work uh, with me in the garden and do all these different projects, make soap and they help butcher chickens and uh, all these things. And um, we, uh, that's been really sweet. What's really cool is that last year we had a woman who she drove an hour to come and do this with us every single Tuesday. And uh, Mm. this winter she called me up and she said, could we do this again this summer? And could I bring my whole family and so now we're turning it into a family internship where we'll have a couple families come out on every Tuesday and wow. get everybody or Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> get everybody out in the garden together and uh, and work together. And it's a sweet um, to me that feels even more congruent because that's what we love is the yeah. family together. And um, yes. she's bringing she just brought them out actually to the farm uh, open house and just super fun. They're on a whole trajectory of their own now that mm. they're they're looking for a farm she's she's a gardener and it's just it's exciting it's fun to watch that is that is a wonderful testimony and example to people so uh, as much as I, I hate to to uh, shift a little bit from your farm which I would enjoy uh, hearing more about even uh, I want to focus some on the book and and you know so it the book itself is, I thought it's very well laid out in, in that the introduction in reference to the, the system, the, the modern industrial system and the problems that are there. Rory, you do a really good job of in a, a short, punchy, condensed way explaining those problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I teach economics uh, to seniors in high school. And, you know, the, the, these are things that they would understand, but it's not so long as to be in a textbook, which most students are allergic to, and rightfully <laughs> so, because I've read some of those. So, so, so you talk about the problems with the systems, and then you talk about the trades themselves. Uh, and then you have the conclusion uh, at the end about regarding foundation. So mm-hmm. I would advise everyone to get the book. So I, I, I've tried to encourage anyone who talks about this with me. I said, you need to buy Rory Grove's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and several have, but I want to think about the, the philosophy behind industrial problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and by the industrial problems, I don't mean pollution and, you know, in, environmental effects as bad as those are. But how has uh, one place you talk about the cult of efficiency, mm-hmm. you know, how has that cult or just, you know, the industrial system itself, if you want to, to broaden it, how has that harmed families? This was one of the most uh, impactful aspects that I came across when I was researching for this book. Um, Alan Carlson 
really opened my eyes through some of his literature on just what the result was of all of our gains in industrial efficiency and um, economics, what that had done to the family. He called, uh, I remember there's one chapter he had in one of his books called, or an essay called um, uh, Creative Disruption Family Style, or Destruction, right? Creative Destruction Family Style. Of course, creative destruction is a term that we apply to capitalistic economies where innovation disrupts what's already uh, in place and usually for the better, quote unquote, because it's um, it's replacing older obsolete technology with better technology. But he, you know, he literally went down into detail about what happens to the family when you continue to, to iteratively go through these disruptions and destructions of what the uh, prior system was. And um, over time, the thing about it, uh, all capitalistic economies really are geared towards, as John Eichard puts it, the extraction of energy. So they're really looking for the most uh, efficient way to extract energy uh, across the board. And they'll continue towards that goal. And that, that is basically profitability. Now, in the Bible, you see that free markets and liberty are very highly valuable things and to be desired, to be preferred. However, God puts constraints on these things. He doesn't say pursue efficiency at all, uh, for all costs, I mean, for all uh, uh, purposes and for all sake. He doesn't say pursue profit at any expense. He puts conditions on it. He puts limitations on it. And I think that um, we can, we tend to have this two-sided debate on whether there should be socialism or capitalism. And, you know, that's usually what I would, I would have embraced. I was definitely a conservative capitalist. I'm still very conservative and traditional and lean towards capitalistic uh, mindset in terms of free markets. But, the, but when I started looking and peeling back the covers on what it did to the families, very specifically what happened during the course of the Industrial Revolution, which was what some historians call um, uh, the greatest historical event since the domestication of animals. Now, these would have been secular mm-hmm. historians. We would say different. But, but it was a very, very disruptive thing which happened between about 1790 to 1840, 1850. And you saw the mass migration of people away from their families into factories, sometimes living basically in tenements owned by the corporations, Right, and you saw the children going miles underground into coal mines. You saw the women going into the woolen mills. Uh, the men were leaving the farms. Um, you saw all of this happening, really, for the pursuit of what was promised to be a better life. And they did achieve material abundance, like nobody ever expected in human history. But what right. I look at at the book is at what cost. Basically, we eroded the human institutions of family, of marriage, of cross-generational discipleship and mentorship, and we're left with, you know, really where we landed today, which is where we have an epidemic of loneliness and uh, we have uh, incredible amounts of um, despair and and people just uh, unhappy, unfulfilled, even though we have everything you could possibly want. Really, as a people, we find ourselves so unfulfilled and, and starved for meaning, and we find our 
young people leaving the churches. We find marriages and disillusion. We find so much uh, discord in families. And I really believe the vast majority of that belongs to this pursuit of efficiency at all costs. This, I'm, I'm sure you realize how radical that sounds to, you know, even the, the, the good, godly, Ronald Reagan loving, free market bowing people. That, that is a strong statement that many in the in the conservative world, the, the conservative incorporated world, mm-hmm. cannot comprehend. So I you know I've taught this year in world history multiple revolutions. And it, most of the revolutions we talk about are, you know, what we, the, the textbooks bring out and, and the state and the, the state guides, they, they want us to talk about the negative mm. effects of the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, and so on. Mm. The Industrial Revolution, though, mm. there's about two sentences given to its negative effects and most everything else given to its positive effects. And, yeah. ju- and even in, in the broader culture, it's, there are very few negative effects ever stated about the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, that's part of what was so startling about this research when I started digging into this. Um, you know, um, sometimes you want to look at the, what's happened in the last couple of years, the last couple of presidential elections, or you maybe go back and look at, you know, the, what happened back in the 60s and the 70s. And, but you have to go so much further back to really understand some of the social issues that we're working out today. Um, when, when families left essentially the home economy to pursue a wage economy in factories and under separate you know, businesses and corporations, um, they really broke apart a fabric of society that we're reeling from today. It happened for yes. some reason, right? And now that you, and it, it was voluntary for many, not all. Some people were really forced off the land because they could no mm-hmm. longer, because of efficiency, they could no longer produce a livelihood at home like they used to. But for many, it was voluntary. So that's the the when I researched this, the historians of uh, you know that were recording the Industrial Revolution effects and so forth. They talk about this in the 1920s and 30s when they're everything is just an unmitigated good that came. There's nothing bad that happened. In fact, the old way of doing things was, was uh, so uh, backwards and uh, uh, old fashioned that nobody wanted anything to do with it. And it's interesting, even in the way that they criticize the pre-industrial way of life, they bring up things talking about how there used to be apprentices and uh, there, there would be a more intimate relationship between the, the mentor and the mentee than there is usual today, of course, right? Because all you're doing is pulling a lever today. There's no relationship right. needed. And so they kind of betray some of what was lost in the course of that pursuit. So, yeah, I mean, I, I realize that it's controversial, but, you know, we've talked to a lot of people and we've received a lot of feedback uh, and had a lot of conversations. It's not as controversial as it was. 
people recognize there's something really wrong right now. We're losing our children. We're losing our families. We have all of the stuff. We have all of the material goods, but we're not happy. And people are more open than they've been in the past to having this conversation and exploring some of these topics. Which is a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I did, was not coming, I was not expressing uh, dislike of your thesis there, but it, it's often the, the, the authors that I read, many of the same authors that you have read, after you've been swimming in this and you've come to, to see there's a lot of problems here. Mm. When you just casually make a remark to someone else who's not read this hmm. and they think or, they, or say, that sounds crazy, it, it actually hits me sometimes, this, this is really disturbing yeah. uh, to, 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 to some. And then, of course, in your own background, in the, uh, in, in the, the computer and software industry, would you say uh, that the the way that is going right now, that it is the industrial mindset on another level? So, so you know, it, it's it's not necessarily a revolution in that it, it's a, a change, but but it's the revol- it's the industrial mindset that's taken to a higher uh, to, to an artificial plane. You know, yeah, I would. It, the mindset is still with us. The Industrial Revolution is still occurring. It's not a revolution right. now because we've pretty much decimated the old, the old way of life and we've destroyed right. everything that was left. Um, but the mindset of the pursuit, the unbridled pursuit of efficiency um, and profit has really not left the common psyche in the world today. In fact, I would say that there's uh, the mirage of all of this happiness that was, lies just ahead, just over the next bend. If we would just make things faster and more expedient and more profitable, um, that mirage is still driving and a driving force behind a lot of what's going on today. A lot of the automation, um, you know, people in the software profession are not immune to the automation that's coming. White collar jobs are more at risk than many blue collar jobs, especially right. the building trades. In fact, sure. some of the research that I came across said that in the next 10 years, um, uh, I forget it's one fifth or uh, some significant percentage of white collar jobs are expected to be gone in the next 10 years, requiring <laughs> four year degrees while the building trades are projected to increase by 30% over the same period. And a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, the, the premise of the book, durable trades. There are certain things that people will always need, but during the course of the industrial revolution, you saw tens of thousands of vocations spring up and die away within the same, you know, couple of decades, right? There's no one operating telegraphs anymore. Um, but those are all innovations that came and went. And the same thing is still ongoing today. So it, it creates for a very destabilized society and destabilized families. But I would just say, again, coming back to why are we here? What did God put us on this planet to do? 
you know, why are we feeling unfulfilled if we've pursued all of these material things? Why aren't we happy and satisfied then? And I think it's because we're missing a critical element. And, and I believe that that is relationships. And, and that's part of the, the, the entire purpose of this podcast. You know, it, it is about the good life, not as defined by the market or as defined by attaining the most wealth, building, as talking with a friend of mine uh, who said, you know, the current mindset of people who start a business is that you start a business in order to sell. Mm for a high profit, but a, a pursuing a good life as one that is in harmony with what God, the way that God made us mm-hmm. and fulfilling the, the callings that he has given to us mm-hmm. as, you know, husbands, as fathers, as wives, as mothers, and as members of his church. Mm-hmm. So what, Drilling down and kind of going back a little bit to, you know, to, to home life, but, but considering what you've talked about with uh, technology and some of its negative effects, it's not, you're not Luddites, obviously, because you have, you know, computers, you are on the grid, you have tractors, um, I'm guessing, uh, you, you don't plow with, with mules. Uh, Not yet. Maybe you do some. <laughs> Give it time. Give it time. <laughs> uh, but how do you balance that element of embracing the gifts of new technology that God has given with wanting to, to remain as close to the organic, natural, gifts that God is maintaining and not wanting to create this specialized separation between the two. Does that make sense? Definitely makes sense. And I think to go back to an author, you mentioned Rod Dreher. He had a a phrase that I used in the book that said, technology is not morally neutral. And I think, you know, the Luddite concept, it's not a rejection of all technology. And even the Amish, even the old order Amish, they don't reject all technology. They reject some technology. It's technology which they feel will disrupt the community and disrupt the family. But they do embrace some technology. And I think that um, that's a decision that, that each family needs to make for themselves. And there's not one right answer there. But the, the bottom line is, why is this technology, why does it exist in the first place? Does it exist to help us bring honor to God? Does it help us come closer together as a family? Um, is it is it just a labor-saving device to, to, to create more free time, which we don't actually need if we're using it to watch other labor-saving devices like television? Right. You know, so I think that, that that's a very personal question, and I, I think that it's, it's on a case-by-case basis. Um, I, because I came from a computer technology background, it, I don't really enjoy using technology for leisure. I don't, I try to avoid screens if I can as much as possible. Sure. Um, I have to use it. I, ha- I cannot manage a business 
in the modern day without having internet connectivity and email and some of those things. Um, if I could personally, I would turn it all off if I could just make a go of it here on the property, <laughs> but I don't think we would, that would actually happen. But I will say that you just, just to consider, just be, and I talk about this in the book a little bit too. You weigh each technology, you consider it before you bring it into the home. And you might, you might change your mind and decide to get rid of a technology later. Um, one of the things in Rory's book is, uh, he, he mentions that, you know, don't just quit your job and, uh, you know, but a lot of these durable trades, you can kind of start them as like a side project, do, do a couple different things, maybe, maybe right. start this up with your son, work on this, you know, skill, start selling this on Etsy, just, you know, in smaller practical ways. And I feel like just using your hands, just doing work, uh, that's really mm -hmm. deeply satisfying, um, kind of replacing your sweet scrolling phone with a hammer or whatever it is, you know, right. but there's something that is just, um, it's, it's way more satisfying, you know, and that to me, it's like that, that's maybe your best option, you know, to, to switch over from, you know, new technologies to old technologies is just to start using the old ones and to start um, just feeling the goodness of learning a new skill you know that yes. that was me when i started milking the goat i mean who ever would have seen that coming i grew up in a <laughs> nice suburb you know if you would have ever told me that in high school that one day you'll milk a goat and now <laughs> i love it i mean i really love it i love getting outside i love uh you know greeting the animals who are so happy to see me in the morning and um but i i feel like that's that's a sweet way to just kind of make that transition is just start doing other cooler things <laughs> One of, the, one of the things to keep in mind, too, especially when you get into the computerized media, entertainment, all those things, and I, and I touch on this in the book as well, but you have to understand that there are entire companies and supercomputers that are designed for one purpose, and that's to uh, hold your attention. Mm. I would say steal your attention. They uh, make their money by attracting as many eyeballs as possible for as long as possible. So, so, you know, just be conscious of the fact that there are people, uh, when I, uh, when I was writing the book, uh, Facebook had 300 open positions hiring for psychologists mm. at Facebook. And that was the open positions. I don't know how many they employ currently. And that's so, not for the workers. Correct. That's right. right. So they, <laughs> right. they want to figure out how to hack your brain so that you'll spend as much of your time and attention on their devices and on their screens as possible. YouTube would be no different. Um, all of those other uh, uh, platforms out there are really trying to divide and conquer your attention. And that includes dividing it from your family. So, you know, if it takes removing the TV from your household, let it go. We did that seven years ago and we never looked back. And it was, uh, wow. yeah, and, and it's, there, there is other fruit out there right there that God has put in front of you that you can enjoy, that you don't, you don't need the things that the world puts in your path. You don't need nearly as many things. Hmm. So simplicity then hmm. as is what I, I hear you saying is a blessing as much as possible. I, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's, Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, they didn't need any labor-saving devices. God put them in the garden to tend and keep it. 
they had a, they had a vision, they had a relationship with each other and with God. And uh, obviously that's pre-fall and there's there's a whole lot that's transpired in the process. But um, just to be, I think the first step is just to be conscious that there is, uh, not all technologies are equal and, and you should use discretion. Mm. So with your multi-generational perspective, wanting to, you know, th- this is not just about Rory and Becca Groves having a farm. Your goal, I've heard you say already, is to disciple your children. Absolutely. What does discipleship look like in the Groves household? Now, the, uh, the, that could take a long time, and, and mm-hmm. you know, I know you, you could get really detailed, but just in general, I mean, you have a different way of life than many people. Uh, families. But but how are you purposefully preparing your children to follow Christ and to pursue the life of discipleship to which he's called us? Amen. Um, you know, it's time together is probably mm. the most consistent theme. And that means that as much as we possibly can, we're together, we educate together. We work together, which is a major theme in my book. And uh, we worship together. And I think when you separated families from working together, you lost a pivotal element of discipleship. I really believe that those hours that are spent over a young man's life apprenticing into what he will be doing for his the rest of his life are such critical years that um, it's not just in the classroom, although you can certainly do discipleship in a classroom, but when you're working side by side, there is something that happens there um, where uh, you are really mentoring in a very literal way uh, your sons and your daughters as you work together, whether it's on the farm or whether it's um, uh, you know building, if you're a carpenter or you're woodworking in the wood shop or whatever it is, to the degree that you can bring your children into your vocation, that is an incredible God-given opportunity to disciple your children. Because, you know, you don't have these life-altering conversations at a scheduled time and place. They don't happen that way, right? Yeah. They're usually at these very unusual times. And if you're not there when your son has questions or when your daughter has questions, you miss that opportunity to disciple them. So I really think that the key to discipleship is time together. First of all, lots of time together. And the other thing that we just recognize is that um, there's nothing else that we would rather do than spend the years of our young children's lives uh, preparing them for eternity. there's nothing else that we would rather be doing. There's no um, sacrifice too big because we want to make sure that we're giving every opportunity to raise our children in the faith. And we want them to see the faith lived out, which means Becca and my own faith walk, and we need to be right with God. Uh, But there's no um, leisure time or bank account or... uh, 
investment account or, or job or prestige or fame or anything that would come close to being as valuable to us as having our kids spend eternity with us in heaven. And so yeah. we want to orient our lives around that first. And that means time together. And that means figuring out a way that we can work together and we don't have to separate into different places. And I don't have to leave them for 60 hours a week in order uh, to put bread on the table. So that's, that's really drives us towards it. When you, when you say family centered economies, what are the vocations and the callings that we can embrace? Even if it's not as much money, that's okay. We need to make a living, but what can we do where we're still together? Rory's dad, uh, he says, you have your children's heart until, what age does he say? About 10 years. About 10 years. You have it f- like fully undivided to you for about 10 years. And then, mm. you know, then friends come in and different different other, uh, you know, uh, influences. Um and we're so aware of that and uh, and just are taking this all so seriously then. Like, this is it. This is our, like, we have the baton in our hand and this is our sprint. This is our time to, you know, to do yes. this. And what's so sweet about this time is that our kids are so interested in, uh, you know, my kids are, mom, tell us stories of your childhood. Yes. <laughs> like, that's like ancient yes. history, you know. And, uh, and Rory, just, they want to know, you know, he, he will sit down with them and, and tell them, you know, kids, I want to tell you about this mistake I made once. And, and they are enamored. I mean, it is like you mm-hmm. made a mistake, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Let me tell you about I have a treasure trove of those stories. You know? So stories. Um, and they're but they, we've got them right now. They are so interested. They want to know about life. They want to know it through us. And, um, right. and so I think though, that's, that's some sweet, uh, time that we have right now. Um, the other thing that we do that's really practical and tangible, and I don't even know when we, or who you, was it Kevin Swanson that told you about? Yeah. So we do family worship each night before bedtime and we're in Mm. the living room. We all have our Bibles out and um, we go to a charismatic church where we don't sing a lot of hymns. I was raised in a traditional uh, denomination. And so um, I want my kids to know the hymns. I want them to right. know all four verses. <laughs> I want them to have yes. them in their bones so that when their memory fails, they know these words. So we'll sing one hymn. Uh, we have about 15 that we made a little family hymnal, you know, and uh, we'll sing one hymn, all four verses. And then uh, we're reading through Exodus right now, just as much as everyone's attention span can last. And yes. um and then Rory will speak about it. We'll we'll kind of share. Does anyone have questions? What you know? What spoke to you? And then uh, and then we pray, and each kid gets to pray. So it's very simple, right? I mean, all those elements are like you sing a song, you read the scripture, you talk about it, and you pray. And uh, we do not miss a night. It is it is like mm. it's as it's as much a part of our evening routine as everyone upstairs brush your teeth, you know, go potty, go to bed. Right. <laughs> it's like yes. it is. It's just in the foundation and. That's pretty radical. That um, I don't know if I would have uh, seen that one coming, but it is so fruitful, and things come up then, and it's a space, you know, where we can mm. bring up conversations, and so it's a really tangible one. Yeah, if you can do nothing else, daily family worship every yes. day, yeah. and it's more about the consistency than how uh, powerful or um, uh, you know charismatic of a speaker or or how deep it is. It's a lot more about uh, having the kids uh, watch 
and have it modeled to the kids that mom and dad take this seriously. We do it every day and um, it matters to mom and dad and that we did it. You know, th- there's the consistency yeah. element of that. And and I got that from Kevin Swanson, who's a pastor out in Colorado and has mm-hmm. a homeschooling ministry. And that has completely changed our family since we started mm-hmm. that maybe wow. you know, Absolutely. four or five years ago. Yeah, probably four years ago. Um, yeah, and, and you don't have to, you know, um, you know, fathers, you're our priests of your homes. And, and you have and an amazing opportunity to influence those children for the future kingdom and the present kingdom. And um, they want to hear their dad read the scripture. They want to participate in these things together. Don't delegate that one off to youth group. Right. If you're not also yes. doing it at home, daddy and mom together have so much opportunity to disciple through that kind of daily worship. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And another practical point, the little kids will dance while we sing the yeah. hymn. And then each kid gets a turn to read each day, even the three-year-old and, and the five-year-old, and they will just repeat after either Rory or I. So wow. it takes a long time. Sometimes <laughs> it takes longer than It's hard others, to concentrate. But it's really <laughs> but, only, I mean, But they love it. They take it so seriously. So um, like anyways, a... to us, the, at first it was like, how in the world would you ever do that with little kids? That sounds ridiculous sure. to get them to sit still. That sounds like agony. You know, and uh, but these have been just little little helps for doing it with little kids that um, have been so so fruitful. Yeah, the the uh, the waves, rocks are formed, and are changed not by a few powerful waves mm. that hit the shore, mm. but by the continual rolling of the waves mm. that come. Yep. So that is that is a great testimony. So. The last question for you, what's next now? Uh, I mean, so I know you said you're expanding little bit by little bit on the farm. Uh, please don't stop totally with email because I, I was glad to get to, to contact you about this. But right. I mean, what, what, what is there a next project uh, writing? You had a lot of great things to say in, in the book. What's on the horizon for, you know, both in, in writing for you, Roy, and, and both you and Becca both? What, what's what's coming up? Well, um, you know, right now we have a number of things that are kind of irons in the fire. Uh, one of the things that's been real fruitful for us has been a family newsletter that we started publishing. Boy, was that five? We're in our fifth year. I think we just started publishing mm-hmm. this year. And we just, what we do is it's again, it's an extension of what we do here. We just invite people to come along with us and we show them what we're doing, what we're learning. We introduce them. We've had uh, Alan Carlson has written articles to include in that. Chris Wiley's written articles to include in it. And um, we just, it's a printed newsletter, right? So it's kind of a deindustrialized mm-hmm. version. But, um, we really enjoy writing as a family. This is something that's come out of this whole process. And our kids will write something and uh, Becca writes articles. And we all try to, uh, the goal is to encourage other Christian families and to kind of share our experiences. So that is, that's become more of a regular thing that we're, we're putting more time into going forward. Um, and then I think we're just going to continue this. We're raising, um, uh, on the farm, we're raising purebred Katahdin sheep, which is a, a specialty meat breed. And we're starting to get a little bit more comfortable with how that whole process works. So raising food for the local community here, um, mm. starting to you know attract some more people that would be willing to buy from us. 
Um, we raise chickens and hogs as well. Um, and, um, those are, those are going to continue. We're going to continue to try to learn how to subsist here off the land and also how to be more involved in our community and helping to feed our community. Yeah. Maybe a Jersey oh, cow. Maybe a Jersey cow. <laughs> those, those, those are good. Yeah. Those are good. We go through a lot well, of milk here. Uh, yes, I can relate to that. <laughs> Rory and Becca, thank you all uh, so much. The book is Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economies that Have Stood the Test of Time. We didn't even touch some of the, the, the great parts of, about the book and different elements of the book. So just get it. It's available at Amazon and uh, Front Porch Republic. Is the, they're the publisher through Whitman Stock. Uh, also, if you come to our website, thegrovestead.com, uh, there's a, we, if there's any discounts, that are available we'll, that we know about, we'll put them on that website. So go to thegrovestead.com and click on the, the link for Durable Trades. We'll take you right, you can download a sample chapter of the book if you wanna check it out before you buy it. And then I've got the best prices that I know of that are listed right there. Great, great. So go there, get the book. Thank you both so much. This Thank has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matthew. Thank right. you. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.